And Lord, I pray now for our time in the Word. As we, as we move into the sermon time, would you come? Give me help. Give me wisdom. Give me your heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us, maybe like never before, how much we can trust you to keep all your promises to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Excellent. Well, I'm loving Hebrews. And the way I wanted to start off this morning was just by having you think about the fact that in in this book, the Bible, God has made promises to us that are absolutely astonishing. When you just stop and think about it, kind of get out of the Christianese, get out of the cliche mode and just ponder what God has promised us in, in his word, astonishing promises. But one of the questions that we all deal with from time to time is how can I know God will keep his promises? How can I know? We wonder sometimes. How can we know for sure God's going to keep his promises? Take some examples. God promises. One of the most amazing promises in this book. Just we've been talking about Natasha with her kids. But God promises that he will forgive all of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Changes everything, doesn't it? How can we be sure God's going to keep that promise? It's huge. How can we be sure? In this book, God promises that the the joy he gives us is infinitely better than any other joy there is. Again, massive promise. How can we be sure God's going to fulfill his promise? Another example, God promises to work every situation in your life. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, he's promised every situation in your life. He is working to bring you great good. Every situation. So question is, here you are, maybe you're in the thick right now of a, of a massive, heartbreaking trial, which seems like it has no end to it. How can you be sure that God's going to keep his promise? One last example, God's promise that at the end of your life, he will raise you from the dead and bring you into his presence forever. (laughs) Does it get any bigger than that? How can we be sure that he's going to keep his promise? The author of Hebrews tells us, in, in the next section of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. So let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 6. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Thanks, guys, for passing these out. We, we are passionate about having everybody have a copy of the Bible in front of them so that we can all read the words of God together, what he says to us. And Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, that's on page 1004 in the Bibles we're passing out. So go ahead and turn there. So let me just put this passage into a little bit of context. In, in, the, in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6, he's just urged us, be earnest in faith. Don't be sluggish, and you will inherit all of God's promises. That's where he ends up in chapter 6, verse 12. Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so what he does in chapter 6, 13 through 20, is he wants to help us See why we can be certain 
that God will keep his promises, so we'll be even more motivated to be earnest in trusting his promises, not let sluggishness creep in, but so that we can keep fighting the fight of faith and trusting him. And so in verses 13 through 20, as I studied this passage, I saw three powerful reasons why we can be confident that God will keep every one of his promises to us. So let's just dig in. First reason is this. It's because of what God did for Abraham. Now let me give you some backstory, then we'll look at what he says here. Here's the backstory. From Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world, said it was good, Adam and Eve, the whole thing. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and rebelled against him. Sin entered the world. Genesis 3 through Genesis 11, the curse of sin covered the whole earth. The earth was under God's curse for sin. But then in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and spoke to this 75-year-old man and said, through your offspring, yes, the whole world is covered with the curse of sin, but through your offspring, I'm going to bring my blessing to every people group on planet earth. Through your offspring, Abraham. Amazing promise. But there's a problem. Abraham and Sarah, he was 75 years old. They hadn't had any children yet, weren't able to have children. But God had promised, through your offspring, I'm going to bring my blessing to every people group on the earth. And Abraham believed God's promise. Ten years went by. No child. Another ten years went by. No child, which means 75, 85. He's 95 years old. No child. He trusted God's promise. God promised through my offspring, every people group on the earth would be blessed. God's promise, I'm trusting him. Five years later, Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah gets pregnant and gives birth to Isaac. So here's this baby. God fulfilled his promise. And then God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac, who he's waited for for 25 years, trusted God for, believed God for, And God calls Abraham to kill his son and have have his son be a sacrifice before God. Now, God had promised Abraham that through Isaac, through this baby Isaac, your offspring will be named. This is the child I promised to you. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be named. So he knew that if he sacrificed Isaac, God was going to raise him from the dead. We see that later on in the book of Hebrews. And so he believed God and moved towards sacrificing Isaac and God stopped him. Just as he was about to kill his son, God stopped him. And in verses 13 through 15 of Hebrews 6, we see what God does when he sees Abraham's trust. Abraham's trusting him, trusting his promise. Look at what God does, verses 13 through 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. So after he saw Abraham's faith for those 25 years, his faith regarding Isaac, God stopped him from killing him. He said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And the punchline is verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Abraham patiently waited, 
trusted God's promise, trusted God's promise. He and Sarah, not able to have children, trusted God's promise. 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, trusted God's promise. Offer your sons a sacrifice, trusted God's promise. Abraham patiently waited, trusted God's promise. God kept his promise. If Abraham was here now, he'd say, trust him, (laughs) trust him. He will fulfill every promise he's made. I can attest to you. Trust God's promises. So, how can you know for sure that God will forgive all, all your sins through Jesus Christ? Remember Abraham. That's how. How can you know for sure that the joy God will give you is infinitely better than the joy that any sin could offer. How can you know? Remember Abraham. How can you know that God will work everything in your life, everything, to bring you great good in him? How can you know? Remember Abraham. And how can you know that he will raise you from the dead? You, 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 you. This is real here. How can you know? He will one day raise you from the dead, bring you into his presence forever. Remember Abraham. That's the first reason. Abraham patiently waited and obtained the promise. Remember Abraham. Isn't that great? They get better. Second reason. It's because God has shown his commitment by his oath and promises. Here's why this is important. God loves us. He cares for us. He knows how weak we are. He knows how hard it is for us to trust his promises. He knows and he cares. And so what does he do to help us? Verses 16 through 18. I love these verses. Verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, what did he do? He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Long sentence there. Well, let's, let's take this apart now. Notice verse 17. This is, let's start by focusing there. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, who are the heirs of the promise? Everyone who's trusting Jesus Christ. Are you trusting Jesus Christ? Then you're in this verse right here. There's you. The heirs of the promise. So God wants to, he desired to show more convincingly to you the unchangeable character of his purpose. What he did back then in Genesis 22, that was for Abraham But it was also for you today, right here now, 2013, San Jose, reading Hebrews 6. God wanted to show you the unshakable and changeable character of his purpose and his promises. See how good God is? He doesn't just command us, believe my promises, 
He does that, but then he shows us why we can, how we can. So how did he show us? What did he show us? End of verse 17. He guaranteed it with an oath. Now I want to show you where God does this. So turn back to Genesis chapter 22. Way back to the left in your Bibles. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis 22, that's page 16 in the Bibles we passed out. Genesis 22. Again, the story is Abraham was believing God was moving towards sacrificing his son Isaac, and just as he is about to sacrifice him, the angel of the Lord says, Stop! Stop! And then pick up the story in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now you might wonder, what do those verses have to do with us? Where are we in those verses? Did you catch where we were in those verses? Verse 18. In your offspring, who's, who's Abraham's offspring referred to here? This is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the great, 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 dot, 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 great, 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 grandson of Abraham. Okay? In your offspring, that is Jesus Christ, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All those who trust Jesus will be blessed with obtaining all of God's promises through Jesus Christ, through your offspring. So that's us right there, okay? So God promises you and me right here. We're in this verse. We're in verse 18. God did this for Abraham. God did this for us right now today. God's promised you in Jesus Christ, by faith in him alone, Just like what Natasha was sharing, okay? If we're trusting him, we're forgiven by him. It's not because we're good enough. By faith in Christ alone, we will receive the blessing of God's promises. Now, God wants to show Abraham, he wants to show us with two things why we can trust this promise. Every promise of God is contained there in verse 18. That's the word blessed, all these promises. So why can we trust what God says here? And God, God does it in two ways. One way is by repeating the promise to Abraham. So this promise was repeated numerous times from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22 and on. God repeats this promise again and again and again. Through your offspring, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, all who trust him, all the nations will be blessed, will receive God's promises. God states the promise again and again and again. So one way God shows us that we can trust his promises is by repeating it over and over again. Through Jesus Christ you who trust him will receive all my promises. That's one way. Okay? Are you, are you seeing it? He wants, he wants to show you something through this. Are you, are, you, are you seeing what he's showing? There's a second way he shows us. It's by swearing this promise with an oath. Okay, what's an oath? So see, when you, when you read over passages like verse 16, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord... 
don't just read over these. You know, every word in the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is, has meaning for us. And so this is huge. God, this isn't just like some, some idea. He, he wrote, the, he had the Holy Spirit, well, he, he, he said those words, and then he had the Holy Spirit have Moses write those words so that we here in San Jose 2013 would read those words and would see we can trust God's promises. So how does that help us believe we can trust God's promises? What is an oath? If you're going to swear an oath, what are you doing? It, it, you swear an oath because you want to show someone, I am telling the truth here. This is true. And how do you do that? You pick something of great value or honor, and you say, I swear by that, which means if I'm lying here, then that's, that's nothing to me, which couldn't be the case because it's of great value. So let's say, I swear by my mother's grave if I'm telling you the truth. What I'm saying there is if I'm lying, my mother's death means nothing to me. And you know that's not true. He's telling the truth. That's what an oath is, okay? You, you're swearing by something. So God wants to swear by something that's very valuable, very important, very significant. So what's he going to swear by? What is the most valuable, important, and significant thing that God can swear by? Himself. And so he stands before us. He repeats the promises again and again and again. But then right here in chapter 22, he swears an oath. He stands before us and he says, I swear by myself that in Jesus Christ, you who trust him will receive all of my promises. I swear it by myself. So here's the two things that he's showing us so that we will see we can trust his promises. Now, with that in mind, go back to Hebrews chapter 6. That's the background. Back to Hebrews 6, page 1004, Hebrews 6. Look at God's purpose then in verse 18. This is God's purpose in what he says to Abraham in chapter 22. Hebrews 6, verse 18. He says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So God has given us two unchangeable things. One is his promise, and one is his oath. He's repeated his promises. We see that. He's standing before us. He states the promise, and then he has sworn an oath to the truthfulness of his promise. And he gives us these two unchangeable things so that Verse 18, we who have fled to him for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that's before us. So let's get specific here. I just just love thinking about how, how God does this. The God of the universe stands before you in this passage. Genesis 22, Hebrews 6. The God of the universe stands before you in this passage and he says, I swear... By myself, I will forgive all your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. I swear it. Do you hear that? Hold fast, that means. Hold fast to that. He will. 
You don't need to have any fear as you're on your deathbed. You do not need to wonder. He's sworn to you. The God of the universe stands before you and he says, I swear by myself that the joy I give you is infinitely greater than any other joy. I swear it by myself. So hold fast to that promise. Fight through to that promise. He stands before you, God, the universe, creator. He says, I swear by myself, I am working everything in your life to bring you great, great good. I swear it. Hold fast to that hope. Don't you love that? And then he says, I swear by myself, I will. I will raise you from the dead. And I will bring you into my presence forever. Because you're trusting my son. I swear it. And so we have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. Are you holding? Are you gripping that? Are you trusting his promise? That's the second reason why. Third reason. It's because this hope is an anchor that will bring us into God's very presence. Some of you might be listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm a little farther gone than that. I'm not struggling with believing whether God will keep his promises. I'm struggling with believing whether there's a God. That's my struggle. How can I believe in God at all? I think the author addresses that in verses 19 through 20. See what you think of this. Look what he says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because he starts off saying, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What's the this? And the way to find out what a this is, is you go back to the, to the previous verse and try to find what's the last thing that could be the this. And the this is the word hope at the end of verse 18. We have this hope in God's promises. That's the this. We have this hope in God's promises as the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. Hope in God's promises is our sure and steadfast anchor. So how does that work? Anybody ever done any boating? Okay, you know what an anchor is? Anchor is a big, heavy piece of metal, kind of shaped like a, you know, it got hooks, right? And it's, it's got a rope tied firmly to the end of it, and the rope's tied to the boat. And uh, so the currents are, are threatening to move your boat towards the rocks where waves are pounding and crashing and the currents are moving in that direction. And so what do you do? You take the anchor and you throw it over the side and it goes all the way to the bottom and, and those hook-like appendages get stuck in the mud or in the sand or get stuck on a rock. And so all of a sudden, uh, you stop moving because you're fastened by the anchor. The currents are still pulling you towards the rocks, but your boat isn't going anywhere because you've got this sure and steadfast anchor. The author's point is, your life is like a boat. And there's currents of sin that are seeking to, to, to flow and to pull you into the destruction against the rocks. And you have an anchor. 
Throw it anchor, throw it overboard. Okay, there it is. It goes down to the bottom, gets stuck in the, and and as you are holding fast to that anchor, you will not be moved. No current can move you when you're clinging to God's promises. No current can move you when you're holding to God's promises. So let's say that you're feeling like in your life there's a current of fear pulling on you, pulling you away from God, pulling away from His promises. Okay, maybe it's work or, or whatever it might be. There's no other anchor. Holding on to the seaweed won't do anything, right? Trying to paddle won't do anything. Grabbing a little pelican won't do anything, okay? You need the anchor. And if you will hold to the anchor of God's promises, you will not be moved. Sure and steadfast anchor. Or maybe there's a current of, of discouragement that you're battling and struggling with right now. Things are looking hopeless to you in your life. You have a sure and steadfast anchor that will keep that discouragement from pulling you away. It's the promises of God. As you cling to God's promises, you will be unmoved against that from that discouragement that's pulling you. But there's nothing else. Everything else, like Scott shared earlier, is like sinking sand. It's God's the rock. His promises are the rock. And so as you cling to God's promises, that is a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. Or when temptations pull you. Some of you are feeling big time temptation in your heart right now, pulling. As you hold on to God's promises, as you grip God's promises, the anchor is sunk in. It holds. Your, your, your flow stops. You're holding to God's promises. You will not be moved when you hold on to God's promises. So you have a sure and steadfast anchor of your soul. It's the hope of God's promises. Are you clinging? What are you clinging to? Anything else you cling to will fail you. So I'm clinging to this and the fears. Well, because you're not clinging to the anchor. So cling to the anchor. Now, there's something else, though, that happens in this verse when we cling to God's promises. I've never really noticed this before. Read verses 18 and 19. We have this, hope in God's promises, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So when we cling to God's promises, that hope enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We enter into this inner place behind the curtain. What's that? It's a picture of the Old Testament temple. It's the Holy of Holies. It's the place where God's presence dwells. Now here's the background. The high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. and He would bring the sacrifices for the sins of the people of Israel. Jesus is a better high priest. Ian's going to be preaching about Jesus in the order of Melchizedek next Sunday. Looking forward to that very much in chapter 7. Jesus is the better high priest. 
When he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven, he went into the Holy of Holies with his sacrifice which paid for all the sins of those who were trusting him. So he was the forerunner into the Holy of Holies, into the place behind the curtain. He was the forerunner. So if he's the forerunner, then we are the the afterrunners, right? And when we go to heaven, we will enter the Holy of Holies, but this isn't just about heaven. Notice it's present tense in verse 19. We have, this is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. Future, yes, but also present now. Because Jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies with the sacrifice for our sins as our forerunner, when we hope in God's promises, we will have times when we, verse 19, enter into the inner place behind the curtain. We will have times when we enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, what does that mean? I think what that means is that there will be times when as you are praying over God's promises, clinging to God's promises, saying, I believe, help my unbelief, help me to see your truth in these promises, there will be times when God will do something beautiful for you. And he will pour out his spirit upon you in such a way that you enter into his very presence and you feel his glory in the truth of his word and you experience his love being poured into your heart and you see the truth of who he is and you feel the truth of who he is. He will give you times when you have a first-hand experience of God's very presence. And you know when you have those times where you, God's here, and you're seeing and feeling and sensing and knowing it's a gracious work of the Holy Spirit, and when you have those times, doubt is removed. Because God is here. And when I see who God is, He is the promise-keeping God. There's no doubt when you see Him. Now, that's not something we experience constantly. But it is something we can experience. And the fact that we can't experience it constantly, don't experience it constantly, is why those first two reasons are so crucial. Because those first two reasons are true no matter what you're experiencing. Okay? Abraham's story is set in history. God was faithful to all of the promises he made to Abraham. Abraham would say, trust him. Take my word for it. We know it's true. What we're experiencing and feeling or not, doesn't make any difference. It's true. And the fact that God has shown us his commitment to keep his promises with two things, the oath and the promise, that's, that happened in Genesis 22, that's true. We can bank on that. And when we cling to God's promises, no matter what the currents are doing, it's a sure and steadfast hope. It's true, it's certain, it's solid. We will not budge. But this third reason also means that there are times when as you fight the fight of faith and hope in God's promises, that God will do something very sweet and very powerful. And he will give you a, a, a first-hand experience of his very presence. And you will know God's real. And you will know this God who is real. Look at him. He keeps his promises. Now, what does this mean for us, church? Well, again, think of God's promises. I just kind of summarized four of them. There's, there's dozens of promises in the Word. But let's just think about these four. 
God promises that he will forgive all of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Massive promise. God promises that the joy that he will give you is infinitely more satisfying than any other joy, any sin, any other joy. He promises that. Life-changing promise. He promises that he will work every situation in your life out to bring you great good. The day is coming when every trial you will thank him for. You'll fall on your face before a sword and say, thank you. I see it. Thank you. No hesitation. Thank you. Crucial promise. And then he will raise you from the dead and bring you into his presence. So, so here's, his, here's these promises. Our lives will be transformed as we cling to these promises. Changed, turned upside down, inside out, filled, strengthened. So why should we cling to these promises? It's because God kept every promise he made to Abraham. It's because God has... Because God has shown his commitment by his oath and his promises, these two unchanging things. And because this hope is a rock-solid anchor, which often, as we're clinging to it, will bring us right into the very holy of holies of God's presence. And we'll be blessed, we'll be filled, we will know. So cling to God's promises. That's the word. What are you clinging to? Cling to God's promises.